Hi, everybody. Eric Bailey, Eli Letterman, back again this week for Oklahoma Talk. Uh, on the, I, We still haven't named this, Eli. I guess the world's greatest OU sports podcast. We're still looking for a name out there, too. Something like that. Yeah, oh, we got to... Still look for a sponsor too. So if you want to sponsor Eli and me, that'd be great. We'll 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 come and uh clean the windows, vacuum the rugs, whatever you need. If <laughs> we work for the money, there's no we'll doubt work about for it. The money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a just a fun day, Eli. It, it's crazy how life never slows down with OU athletics, and mm-hmm. it's a crazy week again this week. It it has been. I mean, we've got we're kind of jam-packed in that part of the year where the spring sports have started. The winter sports are are headed to their finish line, whether you're talking about hoops, gymnastics will get there, wrestling's headed that way. You know, we've got all that in Tulsa. Um, And and then there's things that just never sleep. I mean, you wrote yesterday on on Joe Castiglione's uh, comments on on the radio in Norman, and that's, I think, going to kind of be part of our reality from now until we get to the SEC or little things are going to trickle out. uh, and, And there's just so many factors and angles and things for for, for us to talk about, for folks like Joe Castiglione, I guess, to think about first and then talk about. Uh, there's a lot going on in Norman, I guess, per usual. But do you want to start with, with Joe C. And, and some of what he had to say yesterday? Yeah, he had a 20-minute conversation with Toby Rowland, and it was really interesting because they hit a lot of different topics. And, you know, the big thing, of course, everyone wants to talk about the move to the SEC, and he hasn't talked to anyone about that publicly. Uh, so since that move, we've seen Chris Del Conde, the uh, Texas Athletic Director, go out a couple times and talk. And uh, you know, some of the things that interested me were some of the talking points, I basically were, you know, how this happened. And he said it was important for six different factor function factors to be work in concert. You know, the Fox, of course, ESPN, OU, Texas, the Big 12. Uh, who am I leaving out? OU, Texas, Big 12, Fox, ESPN. Who am I leaving TV out? TV networks. TV networks. Yeah, you pretty much got it. SEC. SEC, SEC, of course, yeah. So. <laughs> They're pretty important in this area. Yeah, exactly. So they all had to come together, and it, it, he made it sound like the Big 12, they they wanted this to happen. Uh, in Oklahoma, he made a point to make sure that oh, people knew Oklahoma wasn't looking to get out. They were looking to finish this out. And he even said, unlike other schools, because we've seen other schools depart conferences early and, and with purpose trying to get out. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas sounds like they were willing to stay until 2025. It worked out for both parties that 2024 would work good. And uh, I, I just thought it was interesting to, to see that he he's the way his voice was in terms of just wanting to make sure that people knew they wanted to stay. But this was an effort that worked out for everyone. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure they were willing to stay through the contracts. I'm sure there was some eagerness to get to the SEC. Um, what, what was interesting to me was, you know, him talking about the process that, you know, something I'd been told that that led me to believe that they would have been fine sticking around until 2025. I, I heard this in, in Kansas City uh, during the Big 12 hoops in October was we all focus on football. We focus on the teams. But in terms of the infrastructure of, of this move, there is so much that is going to go into this when it comes to facilities, when it comes to staff, all that, that, that it made sense, you know, to have that runway to 2025. And that's what jumped out to me, among a lot of other things, when this did get pushed up to 24, was they're going to have to accelerate a lot of that. And Joe, Joe C. hit on that a bit yesterday, of, that they're already kind of, you know, the wheels are spinning already on that of what they've got to do, because there is a lot of, of work to be done between uh, right now and that arrival to the SEC. And uh, no shock, the fact that they were sort of in progress already, probably anticipating once they knew they were in these negotiations that this could be the reality. Uh, speeding that clock up, but the, the whole 24-25 thing will 
I think, as he put it, mutually beneficial is, is where they ended up there. You know, I thought it was interesting too, Eli, when he talked about just simple things you don't think about with like changing the logo at every the logo. I mean, that's something minor that, you know, we don't think about, but it's something that he has to think about, you know, going to the soccer fields and changing the, the <laughs> big bubbles, the SEC and such. So there's a lot of big ticket items and in terms of, you know, football and what they have to do for football, but little things like that, just changing logos. And, it, you know, it sounds like they had a transitional team in place and a lot of subcommittees that have talked about what they need to do, what has to happen. And now that just get, gets ramped up. It gets accelerated because it's a year earlier. So everyone's going to be going 100 miles an hour for that uh, 2024 start to the uh, SEC. So I, I, I like you said, I, the process is going to be interesting. It's something we're going to have to follow as a, from a media standpoint because there's going to be news happening all the time. Anything little that happens is going to be big for Oklahoma because it means this is part of their new life. This is part of their new home. So they're going to really be following everything with the SEC. Uh, one thing that he did talk about was OU Texas, both schools going to the SEC. I thought it was interesting. He kind of kind of agreed with Chris Del Cane, his counterpart at Texas, how this game, uh, he expects it to be 2.30. He would love for it to be in that 2.30 window. Uh, we've seen multiple 11 a.m. stars for OU Texas. I think 2.30 would be good for fans. It's it's good for football, and it's traditionally, it's where this game used to be played. So uh, I'm all in for a 2.30 uh, start. What about you, Eli? I'd like 2.30. That's more time for us at the fairground. We can play some games. <laughs> uh, eat some fried anything like I that part I like and you know we talked about this before we jumped on here but most interesting all right 11 a.m 2 30 we know we we know that game because they played it that way uh always it's always in the daylight and Joe C you know essentially said it's going to stay that way uh the quote now one thing that we've said forever is we won't move that game to prime time that's just not going to happen it's too much going on around the state the state fair to play that game at night so it has to be 11 or 2.30. And I think that's interesting. There's There would be an obvious push in, in from, I think, a lot of logical minds to say, put that at night, make it a primetime game. But gosh, all the, th this move in its own right is is smashing up some tradition for the sake of, of money to a certain degree. Let's keep, uh, if we can keep something sacred in this world, I, I think a, a daytime Red River rivalry has to stay because I just think that that is, that's iconic to me. I mean, I've, we've talked about you know, me growing up on the East Coast and watching watching OU Texas from there, it's always been a day game at the Cotton Bowl. And I, I that that to me that that's not getting swallowed up in this is, is a good thing. The only time I think we'll see a radical change for this is if the game is actually moved out of the Cotton Bowl, moved to AT&T Stadium, then I could automatically see in that being a primetime game. Uh, that being said, yeah. I know both parties and both fan bases are going to do everything they can. Uh, and the city of Dallas to keep that game at the Cotton Bowl. And, and tradition, we, we need to maintain traditions. I think that game belongs in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, you know, 90,000 fans, half and half. I mean, I'm hopeful for that 2.30 start. And we'll see what happens with the SEC. We'll see what happens with Windows, with TV contracts, uh, you know, with ESPN. What, what, is, what does ESPN want to do? What kind of games do they want to have? So it's going to be interesting to see how this is going forward. And it's also interesting to see, uh, you know, with all the rivalries in the SEC, too, where this is going to weigh. I mean, uh, it's going to be that Auburn, Alabama, you know, we look at all these different rivalries, uh, you know, even LSU, Arkansas, too. There, there's rivalries about just abundant amount of rivalries. So OU Texas is going to fit right into the SEC. It'll fall, I mean, right in. You think about the Iron Bowl, you think about Florida, Georgia, you yeah. think about uh, even, you know, smaller ones, not on, maybe on, on our right or at least not yet, but, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl. 
Yeah. SEC is chock full of them, and they're about to get one of college football's best. Uh, their lineup of rivalry games, however they choose to do it, maybe they'll maybe they'll start, you know somewhere down the line stack them. Have OU Texas kick off at eleven. Uh, have the Iron Bowl at two thirty, and another one at night. That, that sounds like a a, a made for TV event to me. Uh, but Georgia, uh, OU and Texas are going to fall right in there. You know, it's funny too because you know one thing that Joe Casiglione didn't make a strong comment on was will the SEC go to eight or nine conference games? He kind of was just like Brent Venables. Brent Venables kind of uh, pushed that question aside. They're not going to make public any of their thoughts on what this should be. They're just going to let it all play out at spring meetings. So we'll see what happens with eight or nine games uh, for conference play coming up in the SEC. Uh, and then one last thing that he did, he, he did confirm that Kyler Murray's statue unveiling will be during the spring game on April 22nd, which kicks off at uh, what time? 2 30. 2.30. 2.30, yeah. So, um, and that was exciting, Eli. Just what's your thoughts on last year's with Baker Mayfield and what do you anticipate this year? Well, I mean, Joe C said it. He said, you know, I think everyone surprised themselves last year in, in terms of how cool the Baker unveiling was. It, it happened to line up with all the energy that was surrounding Brent Venables' first spring game. Uh, they packed that place. They hope to do that again. But I think that set up 2.30 kick, you, you'd guess there's a Kyler Murray ceremony somewhere. It follows anything like last uh, last year, a, a ceremony pregame perhaps, and then uh, something at halftime, and and uh, I think that'll be cool. I think they they realized last year that if you can combine those two turnouts together, you get a pretty special day. And I don't know that many schools did a better spring game. And again, we'll see if that that energy is matched. There's a lot of I think as much Brent Venables there was Lincoln Riley energy last year. Let's <laughs> see if it carries over to the spring of 2023. Uh, one other note that I just thought was interesting, and, you know, it's not – I don't think – I think as Josie said, it's really not 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 their number one priority, but there was, you know, the discussion about expanding the stadium. Yeah. You know, 100,000-seater to, to fit into the SEC. And, you know, I, I think – Eric, you and I have certainly been in arenas or stadiums that are too big and not full and, and the feelings of those. But I, it just – it doesn't sound like for, for OU and for Josie that's – priority number one I think for them it's about you know making the, the stadium they've got now and the experience they've got now as good as it can be and um, even demographically a lot of people were pointing out the, the population of the state of Oklahoma 100,000 people out of what three and a half million yeah. something like that the, those numbers don't quite line up but I just thought you know I think those are certain things that if we're taking a non-traditional SEC school and throwing them you know, in in the snap of a finger, essentially now into to the SEC and whatever quote unquote standards there, you're going to have discussions like that, and, and I think that's where Oklahoma is going to have to kind of pick and choose of where where are they going to be an SEC school and where are they going to stay Oklahoma and and the program they've been, the school they've been. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, they do they want to keep their own name out there. This is Oklahoma football. You know what's impressed me from, about Joe Castiglione when we talk stadium expansion when we talk these these topics is. His first concern is the, the fan experience. He wants to make sure the fan experience is great. I don't think uh, it, it's it's quality over quantity. I don't think he gets caught up in seeing 100,000 fans at, at different stadiums. So uh, although, you know, you never know. Down the road, there may be an, an opportunity. To, it may be warranted that, you know, more seats need to be put in. But 
you know, it's, it's almost a, an idea. Let's see what happens in the early years of the SEC, and we'll go from there. And and that's not to say they're progress they're not progressive thinking. I mean, all you got to do is look at the the football facility they're going to yeah, build. Yeah, they're not not building. I promise yeah. you that. Exactly. So I mean, that's the thing. They're always thinking ahead. They're always looking forward. So you know, that's that's not something that's going to be ignored in the future. So. And um, one more. Uh, just on the, the yeah. SEC scheduling, the eight nine games. Yeah, we're talking about like a a, a landscape shifting move. OU and Texas, the SEC, hundreds of million dollars on the line, all that. And the biggest bit of debate and drama we're going to have like the next few months is whether they're going. It's, it's about scheduling the dorkiest uh-huh. stuff on the planet of you know four non con games, three non con games, and there are all these different models. If if you're interested. Uh, you can find people who have been writing about all the different ways they could break it up. Eric, you and I might dive into that at a certain point, but uh, it is it, there's some some irony there for for as big a move as this is. What they're really, I, I think, the number one thing on the docket is is eight or nine, and and there are obviously clear and, and big ramifications of either decision. Uh, but but that's going to be a storyline to follow here in the spring as we kind of talk about those storylines where OU's not in the SEC yet, but SEC storylines are about to start impacting OU. And you're right. We'll hit that more and more as we get closer to spring meetings. I mean, and there's so many different topics you can think about that. I mean, traditionally, you look at SEC, they've always had eight. I mean, it, it, you're breaking tradition. But then again, if they go to one division of football, you probably need another talk, another point, a data point, a ninth game. So you can help break up, you know, any ties or anything like that. So that's important. And uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, OU Texas has to stay among those natural rivalries. But who else is Oklahoma going to get looped in with? Um, I would love, and this is just me, I would love to see OU Arkansas be an annual game uh, just because of proximity, because they haven't played. It'd be a new rivalry that could be created. We saw basketball, how big that was with OU Arkansas. I think OU Arkansas football would be huge. They haven't played since the Cotton Bowl in the early 2000s. So I think to the 2001 season. So I just think that, yeah, we'll talk a lot more about <laughs> about OU football and their natural rivalries, but it's good. And that just kind of, it's just like a precursor to how important this is going to be moving forward. We have a date yet for those spring meetings. I I looked them up and I got the Securities and Exchange Commission. I know, you get to Washington in D.C. No, uh, (laughs) spring meetings for uh, SEC are uh, last week of May, May, I think May 30th through the June the 2nd, I believe. Uh, Last week of May, first week of uh, June in Destin, Florida. So that'll be the next... uh, dates for OU fans to circle just for news coming for OU SEC. So that's enough about OU in Texas in the future. Let's talk. It's Friday, Friday morning. Let's talk about OU Texas in the near term, which is the big game tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon at Lloyd Noble Center. Uh, top, you know, tied atop the, the big 12 standings, OU in Texas. Uh, we're we're kind of in these final stages. It's a big one. Yeah, yeah, first place on the line, and this is big for Oklahoma, who haven't won the Big Twelve, who hasn't won the Big Twelve, and since since two thousand nine, this is their first chance to win a conference title. And if they win this game, they're in the driver's seat going into the final season or final week of the season. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. We had a chance to talk to Jenny Baranchek on Wednesday, and uh, you know, I, I kind of threw her a softball. I admit, I threw her a softball pitch, and she hit it out of the ballpark. I asked her what kind of crowd does she expect on Saturday and and she she basically challenged OU fans he said you know there should be eight to ten thousand at least in this game and we're going to find out her words were we're going to find out how important uh women's basketball is in our state of in the state of Oklahoma by this game uh which you know has the setup for you know two first 
teams tied for first, a natural rivalry. Uh, the next to last home game for probably the, one of the most exciting senior classes Oklahoma has had in a while. So much on the line. Uh, Baranchek understands that uh, there's high school basketball games going on Saturday. She gets it, but still she thinks there should be a, a really healthy crowd uh, in Norman for this basketball game. And uh, we'll see. It's going to be a great game. Oklahoma, you know, lost down in Austin really wasn't really wasn't competitive in that game down in Austin in a 20 point loss. But now this team's playing really, really well. They're, they've won six in a row. Uh, and so we'll we'll see what happens uh, going out going forward. And I know, Eli, you're going to be covering the game. So it's going to be it's going to be fun seeing Yeah, I'll, I'll promise you it's going to be fun seeing these team this team go up and down the court. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll say this. I've been told covering the men's team all year. People on my Twitter mentions, people emailing, saying, well, if there were a good basketball team at Lloyd Noble Center, we'd show up. Uh, there's a pretty damn good basketball team that's got a huge game tomorrow. So, I, I you know, on, on that front of, of what of the challenge uh, that Jenny Brownshake kind of gave to the fan base, I, I don't think there's really any excuse tomorrow. Plays better. Should, should be packed, and I'm looking forward to being there. After tomorrow, I mean, you said, you know, if they win, puts them in the driver's seat. Yeah, it's then what? Uh, they host Kansas State and next Wednesday, Bedlam, and then Bedlam. I guess and then Bedlam, which man, that that's yeah. going to be a dicey one up at Gallagher Iba. They've got <laughs> the, the fighting J.C. Hoyts uh, <laughs> have been, I, I think, exceeded just about everybody's expectations. Twenty uh, and 20, twenty win season, and they beat Iowa State. Remarkable, remarkable. It, it, it's crazy. No, no one knew what to expect when she got there. You're right. Exceeding expectations is crazy. Came out of Kansas City. She had, you know, she had success at Kansas City, and you really got to give her a lot of credit because there's no resources at Kansas City. She did, no. but she won basketball games, and that told you tells you what kind of coach she was there. And gosh, that's going to be a big time game too. Uh, two of the last three games against rivals. That's big, and and like you said, what's on the line? We're talking about a first regular season title since 2009. Uh, and and I'll ask you this, Eric. Do you think, you know, we're we're right here. If all goes well for OU, they will. They'll take this. You think Jenny Baranchek could have seen this coming this fast for for them, and you know, from when she stepped in in, in twenty twenty one. I think that's a good question. I, I you know, it's probably a better question for her. I asked yeah, it to you. That's but. a that's a yeah, that's a really good question because you know that that's a tough deal. That was an Oklahoma program that was hurting, and uh, she would not have taken the job. If she didn't think she could improve it, and uh, and she did two twenty win seasons, you know, a top four seed in the NCAA tournament last year to host. Uh, yeah, I, I think she probably really truly believed that she could win, and and uh, was probably delighted when she met Maddie Williams and Taylor Robertson. And you know, unfortunately, Anna Lunusa was injured uh, early last year. But I think when she got she and she saw the roster she inherited, she built around it, and now she's recruiting to it. So I, I just think that's huge. So great coach. I mean, uh, you know, it's got to be uh, one of the top contenders for Big 12 Coach of the Year with what they've done this year. Um, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about a men's the men's program. I just I just hurting. I mean, they're 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 it's it's become like a broken record, Eli. When we talk about you know they 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 show signs, you think they got a chance, and then you know last five minutes of a game appears, and it, it just I think the whole arena knows what's going to happen, and just another another tough loss this week. So we recorded this last podcast last week. It was after the K-State win, and it was before they went to Austin. And in Austin, they played – that would have been their best win of the season. They took number six Texas at Moody Center to the wire. I mean, you almost had – you had Sam Godwin inches away from sending it to double overtime. 
that had the feeling at that point, you know, when that shot is even in the air, if you want to look at it that way, of maybe the inflection point for OU. If they'd gone down to Texas and beaten them, I don't know what it what they needed to do, what they would have needed to do these next few weeks, but that was the start of it. That run we had been talking about, it was right there. It was knock off Kansas State and go beat Texas. And they just missed out in Austin and they came home this week. And and I think the best way to put the, the loss to Texas Tech at home on Tuesday was it was just kind of an encapsulation of everything we've seen this year. Um, they, you know, Porter Moser has talked so often about these stretches where they play well and they find themselves up just four, not 14. That was what that early part of that game felt like when Texas Tech opened with 10 turnovers in the first like 11 minutes. And OU had a two point lead. So th- there is that. There's uh, a team daring them to shoot and them going 9 of 33 from three-point range. Uh, a night where Grant Sherfield is not on the top of his game and they don't really have a second option. And then ultimately, you mentioned those final five minutes, they got just beaten down inside where the, the Big Toe's worst rebounding team struggled uh, inside and on the offensive glass. And kind of it, it felt really familiar. And I think that's unfortunately just where this season's at now. I think we know where this team is. We, we I don't know what's really left on the table for them. Um, we can, you know, I, I don't know what it, you know, barring a run all the way through the Big 12 tournament and get that getting that automatic bid. I don't know what's there. And, and so they've got, you know, they got to head to Iowa State tomorrow on Saturday. They head to Kansas State next week and then finish off at home with TCU. So it's not a not an easy ending either. Uh, with teams that themselves certainly have plenty to play for, um, so it's a it's a tough spot I think right now. And and you know they they really were this close at Texas. They were, and, and who knows where we'd be if if they'd gotten that win. Porter Mosier, of course, uh, second year. We'll see what happens. I mean, uh, he's got some talented freshmen too. That's the thing. He's yeah. got some talent. There's talent to build around. I think the key you start thinking about offseason. I think the key is they need to get that big inside presence. I mean. Uh, it's been tough. You mentioned in the past, Tanner Groves asking him to play a little bit out of position. Um, they they need that inside presence. I think that's important. That's where it starts. So, but I really like the freshman that they've gotten. And then and, and then there was some news this week about Bijan Cortez uh, taking, yeah. a, taking a break from basketball. Uh, just can you talk a little bit about what Porter said about the situation? Yes, yeah, so about two hours before tip off Tuesday, Bijan Cortez took to Twitter and he wrote, you know, due to personal reasons. I'm taking some time away from basketball. I look forward to returning as soon as I can. So it's, uh, I think, you know, we haven't gotten a whole lot of details, but build is, you know, a temporary, you know, a step away from basketball. And, uh, you know, I've, I said this on Twitter, I've worked it into my copy where I could not surely whatever Bijan Cortez is, is taken care of now is more important than basketball, whether OU was, you know, trying to lock up a one seed or, or kind of where they are now. Uh, and so it's a really important step. And then to hear Porter Moser and, and uh, Bijan's teammates talk about it after the game, it, it was kind of that same message. Uh, the, the players found out on Monday, so in between the two games. Uh, and, you know, Porter Moser just, you know, reading the quote now, my message to him is that I love him. We miss him in this program, and uh, he'll be welcome back with open arms. I mean, that's that that's the proper message, and it's 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 the way they're operating. Jalen Hill had a similar um, statement and and so we'll see but uh, this is a, a healthy step I'm glad I guess as a greater sports culture and sports media and all that that this is um, fortunately becomes something that's there, there's no stigma around, or fading stigma around um, in these days and and hopefully for Bijan all the very best yeah
uh, switching gears, let's let's talk some spring sports. Diamond sports. Uh, hey, let's go with baseball first, uh, real quick. Uh, opening part of the season, uh, they got their first weekend done. They're entering. I mean, it's funny with baseball; they hit the ground running. They they, they play some baseball games and they don't stop. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, from the record, it looks like they're just still trying to find themselves this early season. Yeah. No, no reason to concern. I mean, we've seen this the last couple of years with Skip Johnson, uh, but just early thoughts on what baseball has been doing. Yeah, they've, they're two and three right now. They, they opened with a win against Cal Baptist last weekend, last Friday, and then dropped the next two, beat Air Force on Monday and, and then Wednesday in Arlington. Uh Took a, took, a, took a loss to Abilene Christian. And so they're two and three. And if you go on Twitter, you can find a lot of people who are ready to burn the house down who clearly have short memories. Because if, if anyone watched the first couple months of OU baseball last year, uh, that didn't have a, that, that didn't show you a team that you thought was going to make a run to the college baseball World Series finals. And I, I think Skip Johnson's teams have shown a propensity for, for growing as they come. And, and this year's team, it was surely going to have to be this way because, I mean, they they had so much to replace. You don't lose. I mean, it, it was a testament to how good last year's team was that 11 guys were drafted. Yeah. And they've they've appeared to have hit, I think, in, in some of the transfer portal additions. And, and Dakota Harris has kind of been that early star. And Cale Davis had a really good debut. He'll pitch tonight uh, against Ryder. Uh, but it's early, and it's a brand-new team, and, and there's a lot to work out. So let's pump the brakes. It is February. Now, I'll ask you this, Eric. Is it time to hit the panic button for OU softball? <laughs> I, I don't know, man. They uh, it took a loss in February. Have they lost it? That's my question for you. Have they lost it? Oh, it's it's season's over. Uh, one, yeah, they they didn't have a thirty-eight game win streak to start this season. It's over. They only won nine. They only won eight games in a row before losing a game. So. No, I, we had a chance to talk to Patty Gasso this week, and and uh, it, it's almost like she went out of her way to say, hey, this team's going to lose games. There's nothing wrong with losing games. It's a 60-game schedule. And uh, I think OU fans, they've just seen the dominating performances of this team. Uh, and in a way, I just wonder if losing an early season game takes a little bit of pressure off this year's squad. Because last year, you think every time uh, they went on the field, everyone, okay, that's 20 in a row. Okay, that's 30 in a row. You just, that's, that probably wears on you. And in a way, I just wonder if Patty Gasso's glad that this is out of the way, that, uh, that you know, everyone can focus on, you know, the future. And she even mentioned they're going to the California this weekend for the Mary Nutter Collegiate Classic, which is a big tournament. And, and she said they could lose two or three times this weekend, and that's okay. And she just wants this team to get better. Now, of course, everyone's wondering, you know, question marks about this team. Automatically, everyone looks at Jordy Ball and, you know, she's, she struggled. <laughs> when I say struggled, the bar is set so high for her. If she has a bad outing, everyone thinks, you know, the sky's falling down. Um, they, the Sooners lost with her in the circle um, against Baylor, down at Baylor. And, and she really just had one bad inning and really one bad pitch that led to a three-run homer. But other than that, she's she's uh, working through some, th some things. You got to remember, she only played through nine innings the last month of last season with an arm injury. Uh, she's still trying to find her way back. Uh, it was cute. One of my daughter's uh, former softball teammates sent me a text saying, "We need the blonde Jordy back," because of course Jordy's a brunette now. So it, you know, OU fans are looking for any anything to change to go back to last year, and it's just going to be a process with her. Uh, that being said, real quick, Nicole May, uh, she's been excellent. She's thrown 15.1 innings, uh, 15 and a third innings. Uh, she's only allowed five hits and 28 strikeouts. So you wonder if she is currently being thought as is the ace. 
Uh, is she going to start against UCLA? Oklahoma fell to number two. They play number one UCLA on Sunday. Will Nicole May be in the circle instead of Jordy Ball? We'll see what happens. Jordy Ball's uh, really uh, made a name for herself with an early season win last year against UCLA. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, offensively, just need more better, need better at bats. Uh, Jordan Erickson, the freshman, was really impressive. She had 11 RBIs in one day, eight in one game, and uh, you know, four home runs, lead the teams with four home runs. Uh, you know, Patty Gasso wondered if she could handle college pitching, and you know, she said she doubted it, and she's making Patty. Patty said she's making me wrong. She's out there playing well and hitting the ball, swinging the bat well. So, and then the, the normal suspects, they'll come around. Grace Lyons, Jada Coleman, Tiari Jennings. You know, I, I think there's no reason to worry. Uh, but yeah, you'd think after that loss that it was the worst thing in the world, Eli. It's, but that's just where Oklahoma softball is right now. So what, they dropped from the top spot this week, right? They are number two for the first time in 27 or 29 weeks. They are not number one in the nation. That is stunning. It's uh, more a testament to uh, to Patty Gasso and the success of this program than any kind of time to hit the panic button, uh, I think. But, you know, a, a commonality between the two OU spring diamond sport teams, they schedule really tough early, and there's reason for that. And you see it. Saw it, We see it all the time with, with OU softball. We saw it last year with OU baseball. These games are not what they're measured by. And and certainly Patty Gasso and Skip Johnson are not measuring, I don't think, their team's success by by February results. It's all about building this team up to to where they peak at the end of the spring. And I think that's that's probably the message you'll hear from them both read about now. Let's wrap this up with another number one team right now. Uh, you know, gymnastics, was a big one. Yes. Yeah. Uh and you had a chance to talk to some, talk, talk to some some athletes so just your thoughts on what's going to happen this weekend or tonight well, speaking of speak yeah tonight speaking of kind of like ramping up the so OU gymnastics are 11 or no uh they host West Virginia tonight and they're kind of in a an interesting time in their season uh KJ Kindler kind of breaks the season down into phases January as she puts it is just kind of getting yourself back into it routines getting the feel for competition February, conditioning, grinding in the gym. They've upped their practice schedule this month uh, with the, the idea of when they hit the best time of the year, the, the next month they have some huge, huge meets with Florida and Michigan. And then you get to nationals, and obviously where they're going to be defending a national title. Uh, they've they've got to be strong, but they can't be training as hard as they are right now. So February, this past month, has just been all about the grind, about building up. And so I chatted with Jordan Bowers and Olivia Troutman about that. And just kind of what it's like for them to, to go from starting the season and then this month has really been about building up and it's a time for them to, to tinker with their routines. They, by virtue of practicing as much as they do, they've got a lot of scores to work from and a lot of, a lot of things to tinker with, tweak, and, and all with the view of when they hit March and then April, that they are at peak form, they're conditioned, they're ready for those those back-to-backs uh, at, at the NCAAs. And, and so they've got another one tonight, but when they hit March, They've got Florida coming next week. That's one versus two. They'll head to Michigan a few days later, one versus three. And then it won't be long before it's, it's Big 12s and Nationals. So they're on their way uh, to, uh, to at least contending again uh, for that ultimate prize. That's perfect. Well, Eli, you did so well last week. I'm actually going to wrap this up again, man. I'll uh, wrap this one up. Can I, we'll make it can I wrap it up with one, just a shameless plug? We've hit so much, but one yeah. little shameless plug here. Yeah. I did this week. I chatted with Joey Prada, who is uh, on OU's wrestling team. He's 25 years old. We graduated in the same high school class, believe it or not. 
Uh, he's uh, a seventh year guy who's finishing out his career in the next few weeks. And just really fascinating to talk to him. I mean, he's been at this for a long time. There's been several, he's, this is the second time he's going through his quote unquote final season. So he's getting a, a bit of a do over. COVID uh, shook things up in his career. So there's an interesting story today about uh, a program we don't cover all the time, but a, a guy who has really been at this and is in the final stages. So you can find that at the Tulsa World. You can find all of our work, Eric, at TulsaWorld.com, OUSportsExtra.com. Uh, thank you for listening. What, you find us, Google, Spotify, Apple, anywhere you get your podcast, TulsaWorld.com. And uh, we'll be back next week, won't we? We'll be back. Thanks for listening, guys.